worship service. But it's not the church worship service that we cling to. It's Jesus that we cling to. It's people that we minister to. And so they had to turn their back on something that they were fond of, that they were affectionate for, that they grew up with, that they were attached to. But it was a way of death. And they had to turn to a new and living way. Well, that new and living way didn't work out the way they thought it would. Because their lives got harder. They started to have lost wages. They started to have things stolen from them. They started to be beaten. Some of them were killed. I mean, this isn't working out so well. Let's go back to the old way. Because the the people that stayed in the Jewish faith still had political clout. They still had power. They weren't being robbed from. They could buy and sell better. But the people that were Christians, the people that were in the way, you know, they weren't. And so they were getting discouraged. They were getting tired. It wasn't panning out. So the writer of Hebrews writes to them, and he does this amazing discourse all the way through the book of Hebrews to show how in every single way, the new covenant in Jesus is way better than the old covenant, trying to encourage them that I know this is hard and I know this is difficult, but do not turn back from it. This is the way of life. This is the new and living way. Look, you can see it. When you compare the old and the new, you can see God's hand all the way through it. You can see how the Old Testament was a foreshadowing of the New Testament. You can see how the sacrifices pointed to Jesus, the whole high priest and our high priest, and he does all of that to help them understand that this isn't just some you know, fly by the seat of your pants written yesterday book. This is a design. This is a plan from God who founded the world. He put this into motion. This is his plan. And even if you think it's not working out, trust him. Trust him. And so he reminds them that Jesus is better than prophets and angels and Moses and any high priest. He's better than any other covenant. And especially in chapter 7 through 10, as he starts talking about Jesus being our ultimate high priest, and he really goes into detail of the sacrifices. Now, he's kind of concluded that. We concluded that on Easter Sunday, where Jesus was our sacrifice once for all time, and he's taken away our sins, and he's brought us into relationship with God. And now we come to verse 19. This is where we left off. Why don't we go back up to verse 15? Now let's go to verse 14 so we can read into it because you you really need to read into it in case you forgot Easter or you weren't here on Easter. For by that one offering, verse 14, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts I will write them on their minds. And he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. And so, dear brothers, or in some of your translations it says, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been made 
sprinkled, have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. Our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For we, God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, in Bible school, they teach you all kinds of things to learn what is meant when you read a passage of scripture like this and how I can help make it make more sense to you. And so in a moment, we're gonna talk about that word therefore and how important that word is and why it's there. And we are supposed to look for commands that are given in the passage or things that are repeated in the passage. And we're supposed to go through the cultural background and know all of these things. And as I went through this passage, it became clear to me that the only thing that continues to be repeated for Four times is lettuce. Yeah, some, some of you will get that later, but. And so I called this spoiled lettuce. Spoiled lettuce. You're like, why? Let me tell you. Why spoiled? If you notice, I've got two heads of lettuce here. This one is starting to spoil. You can see the brown that's around there. It's actually slimy. If you could see it, you could see the slime on that. Uh, people did give me advice on how to make it more slimy and brown, but I was afraid it would stink. And after last week, uh, the good smell, I didn't want to have a bad putrid smell. Uh, maybe that would have been more effective. And then this is a fresh head that I just purchased this morning, and uh, it's just fresh, and it's new, and it's good. And so, when the writer says that word therefore in the scripture, he has gone through talking about the old covenant, the old system, the old law, and how Jesus has provided a far better way than the old covenant. And so since Jesus has provided this far better way, therefore, in other words, because of what he's done, here's what we now should do. In other words, here's what our response should be to what Jesus has done. And so he begins to talk about this new life-giving way. He's kind of recapping that Jesus opened for us by his death. And then he begins to show us a few ways that we can actually make sure we take what Jesus did and apply it to our lives. Because here's the thing you've got to understand about the position that Jesus has given us in Christ Jesus. We can waste it. We can waste it. The most powerful moment of history when he said it is accomplished and God is no longer counting our sins against us because of the blood of Jesus Christ, that only applies to our lives if we put confidence back in Christ. Forgiveness is only given to us when we, when we ask for it and we receive it. Otherwise, it's wasted. It's wasted. The book of Hebrews has gone on and on kind of explaining this to us. Look at verse, or chapter two. We must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard or we may drift away from it. It may be wasted. It doesn't matter how much truth you've heard, how many books you've read, how many sermons you've heard, how many times you've said amen. If we don't pay attention to what we've heard, and by pay attention I mean keep diligently putting into practice what we've learned. Some of us read so many books and hear so many sermons, there's no way possible 
we can put into practice all that we're hearing. It would be better for us to take a step back, hear a whole lot less, and for some of us that maybe only come to church once every six weeks, it's a little easy. I don't know, that was, that was naughty of me, but. What makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? He talks about how the people in the old covenant, if they, didn't, if they rejected the law of Moses, they died. How much more severe would it be for us to hear the message, to become fresh and clean, and then let it spoil because we didn't pay attention to it? Then he says it in Hebrews chapter 3. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, and make sure your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. He calls them brothers and sisters. Meaning there's, there's a salvation experience to bring them into their, the family of God. But make sure our hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Remember when we talked about salvation under the umbrella. I told you, you can't fall outside the umbrella. You don't fall away from God. But sin can deceive you to the point where you turn away from God. Our salvation is secure in Jesus Christ and it's not dependent on how perfectly I live out my faith. But if I continue to deliberately sin, sin deceives, sin hardens my heart and it will lead me to turn away from God. It is possible to turn away from the living gods. So we should warn each other every day. We should warn each other every day. That means you don't ever mature to the point where you no longer need to be stopped to get a warning from one another. Don't let sin harden your heart. There's not one of us in this room that will ever get to the level of maturity where we don't need to hear this warning every day. That's the deceptive nature of sin. Then he says it in Hebrews chapter four. God's promise of entering his rest still stands, so we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might not experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them, but it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe will enter his rest. See, over and over and over again, he's saying this. Chapter six it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven, who've shared in the Holy Spirit, who've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, who then turn away from God. Why? Because they've been hardened by sin's deceitfulness. It is impossible to bring them back to repentance. By rejecting the Son of God, they are, themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. In Hebrews chapter 10, we're gonna to get to this next week. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we've received knowledge of the truth, there's no longer any sacrifice to cover these sins. There's only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and raging fire that will consume his enemies. As we talked about, if you weren't here Easter Sunday, you can go back and you can watch that message on the live stream. You can get the, the recording of it. And we talked about we are saved underneath the umbrella of God's grace. And so my sin today is covered already by the blood of Jesus Christ as long as I continue to acknowledge it as sin. But the moment I step outside and say, God, I know your word calls that sin, but I am not gonna call it sin. Now I have chosen to be wise in my own eyes and turn away from the living God. So it's not a matter of I'm falling short or it's not a matter of making mistakes. It's a volitional choice to turn away from God. 
by deliberately continuing to sin. In Hebrews chapter 12, work at living at peace with everyone, work at living a holy life, for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. How could you fail to receive the grace of God? By not living a holy life. What's a holy life? The word holy, we just learned this in our, our, our bait of Satan study on Wednesday nights, and which is just this morning. The word holy means to be a cut above. Meaning there are some cuts of meat that are lower. I know that he said fabric, but come on, meats. Okay, we want to be a cut above. We don't want to be some chuck steak, some ground steak. We want to be a T-bone steak or a ribeye steak. We want to be a cut above. And God is a cut above us. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. They're higher. They're a cut above yours. So come up to mine. And if we don't choose to come up to it, it's not about living perfectly. It's about thinking what he thinks. It's about calling what he calls sin. It's about when he says don't slander, we say slander is a sin. It's not a weakness. It's not okay because everyone else is doing it. It's a sin. And I repent today. God, I should not have spoke against my brother who is not in the room right now. I should not have slandered my sister. And because of that, because we don't do things like this, he says watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. And it becomes wasted, spoiled. The gift of God in us becomes spoiled because of bitterness. As we've talked through the bait of Satan, and I, I told the class just this morning, I said, when we hold an offense in our hearts towards a brother or sister, the reverse of that, or if Christ would have done what we are doing, he would have carried his cross down the Via Dolorosa and got to the point where he threw the thing off and just said, no, it's not worth it, I'm not going through with it because I know that they're gonna come to me, they're gonna ask for forgiveness, but they're gonna continue to do the same things they've always done. They're gonna fail, they're gonna make mistakes, they're gonna trample on my blood, they're not gonna take this seriously, and so I refuse to give my life for them. That's exactly what some of us do when we refuse to forgive our brothers and sisters. And that's why the gospel says you won't receive God's forgiveness if you don't offer it. Because Jesus didn't do that for us. He took it on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And if you think he was just referring to the crowd around him, he was referring to you and I in ages past. And that forgiveness still stands. And if we don't deal with those things, salvation in our lives can literally spoil. Last week, we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter five where God no longer counts our sins against us. God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Jesus Christ. And we stopped and we didn't go into chapter six, but the very next verse in chapter six as God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. Meaning don't say a sinner's prayer and then just go about your day thinking you're covered because you've got fire insurance. You have entered into a covenant relationship with the living God to walk with him, to talk with him, to come up to his level of living. You didn't buy fire insurance, you bought a relationship. 
You didn't buy anything. You entered a relationship where somebody else paid the price for you. And if we don't pay attention to these things, salvation can spoil. And so he gives us things that we can do to make sure that we put these things into practice. He actually gives us three separate lettuces. Lettuces, yeah. I've been so excited for this all week. The jokes are gonna get really corny today. But he's given us four in the translation I read to you, but the last two, in some of your translations, the very last one is not a lettuce. It actually starts with the word not forsaking yourselves, and we'll, we'll talk about that, but there's at least three lettuces that we're gonna look at for what we need to do, and I hope the picture of spoiled lettuce helps us remember what that means, because I think it's interesting that the, the writer chooses the words let us because he could have very easily just plural you said and so because of what Christ has done for you, you do this, you do that, you do this. But he brought us together and he said let us and as we've been talking about coming into the body of Christ and community of the fellowship of believers, I don't think it's by accident that he chooses these words, let us. And why is there an us? I think Pastor John did an amazing job last week talking about uh, the siblings of our parents and how different parts of our parents' characteristics comes out in each of our siblings. And if you get all of those siblings together, you get a fuller picture of the, the parents that's a great understanding because in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter says God has given each of us a gift, a grace from his great variety of spiritual graces. Use them to serve one another. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ, all glory and power to him. So in other words, what God has done is he's taken a grace that's in his life and he's put it on each of us. It's a part of his character, it's a part of his nature, it's who he is, and as we come together in a body, and we worship together, and we serve together, and we, we, we are in community together, we get all of these graces together and we see a fuller picture of who God is. I mean, he could have put all of his graces in all of our lives, and he did. But he wants us to stay together. And so this is what Peter says. In fact, in the New Living, or the New International Version, the NIV, it says, we should use the grace that we've been given as a steward of God's grace in its various forms. And so that's why there's an us in the body of Christ. But our culture doesn't want us. We wanna make faith a private matter. You know, my relationship with Jesus is just a personal thing. The, what's going on in my life is personal. I'm, I got an unspoken request. You know, I know I'm having surgery, but I don't want to tell anyone because it's personal. There's nothing personal about a relationship with Jesus Christ. We've been called into a body. Why shouldn't the body know what's going on in our lives? Because of pride. I took a drink for dramatic effect. <laughs> because of pride, because we don't want to. We don't want to get hurt, it's not of anybody's business. We don't want anyone to know how much we give in the offering, it's a private thing. Really, because this book doesn't make it a private thing. Paul compares what one church gives to what another church should give. Jesus stood watching what everyone put in the temple. 
And he even remarked about it. This woman gave more than that guy. They were selling stuff in the early church and bringing all of the money and laying it at the apostles' feet. Not for a pride issue, not so people would be, oh, look how spiritual you are, so that people would be encouraged by the testimony, the grace of God in their lives. God's grace enabled them to do that, but what did Ananias and Sapphira do? Man, we want people to look at us that way. And instead of developing the grace of giving that Paul calls it, they go out and sell a land, and then they keep some of the money, and they offer part of the money. They lied. And the the scripture says you lied to the Holy Spirit. You didn't lie to God. And they both fall over dead. And Peter says, it was all yours to begin with. You didn't have to do this. You were under no obligation to sell land. You were under no obligation to bring all the money. But because you lied, it's spoiled. The us factor needs to become more a part of our lives. See, our culture takes the let us, and they want us to be like this. Leave me alone. (laughs) Yeah, that was good. (laughs) Leave me alone. I don't want to be a part of a body. I don't need to be a part of a body. It's just me and Jesus out there. But do you know what the scripture says? No, it's not leave me alone. It's let us. And we keep fighting it. Leave me alone. Let us. Let us. This is what we're called to do. And so he gives us, I know, I've been, I have been so excited for that joke. I'm glad that somebody liked it. But this, I, this picture of I just want to be by myself is not a biblical concept. We need one another. You don't need it because of some personal level of a fulfillment that you need but you need it to develop the character of Christ in your life. And part of that is being vulnerable with other people that have the potential to hurt you or who have already hurt you. Trust me, I know what that path looks like. So what do we do? He gives us three things. What do we do to make sure salvation does not spoil in our lives? Here's the first one. Let us go right into the presence of God. Now, God's presence is everywhere all the time. But you and I have to choose whether to access it or go into it. I mean, you think of Jacob when he wrestled with God. Surely God was in this place and I was not aware of it. People sometimes go to church services and they sit there and they don't experience anything and then they surrender themselves to Christ and they follow him and then they begin to sense God's presence. They become aware of his presence. And it has nothing to do just with my feelings. Because when I'm at home and no one else is looking at me and I have been tempted to to yell at my wife and maybe put her in her place or say, hey, you need to submit to me because the Bible says so, I understand God is near. He's present. And although right now I feel anger, the spirit inside of me is saying, no, 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 don't act like that. Treat her as Christ has treated you. Because God did not vent his anger on you who deserved it. He vented it on Christ who did not. And so I become aware of his presence despite my feelings and I act accordingly. And I treat her with the love. Now, I'm not saying I treat my wife perfectly. Just sit down and talk to her. She won't tell you because she doesn't want to gossip. 
But we, have, we all make mistakes. We all treat people like we shouldn't. And you know what we do? We apologize. We work it out. We walk through life together. And so we have to enter into the presence of God. We have to draw near to where he is. Salvation is spoiled for us if we do not draw near to God. No matter what Christ did, if I don't draw near, if I don't call on God, I cannot receive salvation. It gets spoiled for me. Now, this, I, this going right into the presence of God is written in present tense. Present tense means it's a continuing action that never stops. So he's not saying you one time come into the presence of God. He is saying you continuously come into the presence of God all the time. When you get up in the morning, you come into the presence of God. When you have devotional time, you come into the presence of God. When you are angry, you come into the presence of God. When you are in worship service, you come into the presence of God. It's not walking through those doors that brings you into the presence of God. It's your heart tilted toward him. So your location doesn't matter. You come into the presence of God wherever you tilt your heart toward him. And we have got to keep coming into his presence. The word today that said, don't ever think that we're beyond this, that we're beyond repenting, that we're beyond coming into the presence of God. We do it always. Now, right before this, we just read in verse 14 where Jesus one time paid the penalty for sins once and forever. Remember on Easter, I told you that was written in perfect tense. That means Jesus did it once, but the effect of it lasts forever and ever. That's what perfect tense is. This is present tense, meaning I don't get saved once And then that effect lasts forever. I keep coming into the presence of God. I keep worshiping him. I keep praying to him, talking to him, calling on him. I keep reading his word. I choose to draw near. I am not coming into the presence of God if I'm not reading, studying, and meditating on the word of God. I am not drawing near. I am not drawing near if I am not praying and calling on God. I'm not drawing near if I'm not walking in obedience to God. Jesus says, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and he will come and we will make our home with them. He will make his home with those who obey him. And so when we start saying, well, God, I know you said that I should be doing that, but, mm, you know, maybe later I'll get to that. When is the time to deal with stuff in your life? The moment the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. That's the time to stop. That's the time to make it right. Please don't say, well, you know, I'm trying to work through this. I'm trying to, and I understand that there's a process, but you need to start the process. Okay, you can't just wait till you have the emotional energy to start the process. You gotta start the process. And the starting the process is acknowledging to God that you broke his law. And now you need grace to do what comes next. And if we're not, salvation is going to spoil in our lives. We continue to draw near. We continue to draw near with praise and with thanksgiving. You know, we are a society that complains about everything. And complaining is the opposite of thanksgiving. And so we have got to start cultivating God. I am thankful for this. I am thankful 
for that. I am even thankful for the difficulties I'm walking through because you are shaping my character and making me look more like you. Be thankful. And so that's how we come into the presence of God. We just call on him. We pray. We read the word. We obey him. We thank him. We praise him. We come into his presence regularly. Why? Because you know what we do? He comes into our, his, his presence and it says it washes our guilty content, conscience. Remember that? The old covenant couldn't do this. The first thing you do with a head of lettuce is you core the thing. And you throw that sucker away. That's the old life. But here's the thing. The old life tries to keep reattaching itself. You know, and I've, I have never had a head of lettuce that was so, I wish I would have done this in front of you because this baby was hard to core. I mean, I literally had to dig it out. Uh, what a great symbol of what has to happen in our lives. Sometimes we gotta dig that thing out and the only way you're gonna dig it out is to keep coming into his presence. The only way your guilty conscience can get washed is in his presence. And he washes our bodies. You take it, you run water on it, you run water this way so that the water seeps into all of it. We keep coming into his presence. The second thing he tells us to do, to hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. Now, salvation does not depend on me holding on to God because he's holding on to me. And so when you think of holding tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, I want you to think of it more like this. I want you to think of it like Velcro. See, when you come into the presence of God, he gives you a Velcro suit, so you stick to him. But in the world, the Velcro gets a little unsticky. Or when we're on the Velcro wall, and we're squiggling and we're squirming because we don't like what's going on in our lives and we're just doing whatever we want to do and the Velcro starts to lose its stickiness so we come back into the presence of God to get Velcro reattached to us so we can stick to him because salvation doesn't even depend on my ability to just cling tight enough. Some days I don't have the strength to cling and so I have to say, God, help me to cling to you. I love the old hymn that says, bind my wandering heart to you. It's his grace. So think of yourself wearing Velcro and it'll change the way you read the scripture. When you read Psalm 46.10, instead of be still and know that I am God, you'll read it as stop squirming and know that I am God. You're ruining the Velcro. Trust me. Hold tight. Because see, here's what happens. I, I do what Jesus said. I obey Jesus. But pastor, my circumstances aren't changing. I mean, my spouse isn't, isn't changing, my kids aren't changing, my boss isn't changing, my, my finances aren't changing, my health isn't changing. I mean, I'm doing everything that God said, but nothing is changing. And apparently, neither is our character. And that's what's supposed to change. I come to salvation and I obey him because he said this is the path of life. And sometimes the path of life is filled with death. And even when that doesn't make sense, I hold tightly without wavering to the hope I affirm. 
against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed in God. And he did so, as Hebrews says, without wavering. For those of you that are like, well, I waver all the time. Abraham had Ishmael, and the Bible says that wasn't wavering. See, salvation doesn't depend on my performance. It depends on my repentance. Let us hold tight to the faith that we claim without wavering. In Galatians chapter six, verse nine, do not get tired of doing what is good. You know why it says that? Because every one of us will get tired of doing what is good. Because there will come a time when you do what is good and it is not returned to you. You will do good and you do not see the results of doing your good. Do good anyway. Because you are children of your father. And at the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. Well, Pastor Tom, I'm not seeing that harvest of blessing. Well, brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. You know nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. If you trust God, you trust he will repay you for the good you've done. And so we hold tightly to the faith that we profess. Then the last thing that he says, let us think of ways to motivate one another. That word think of actually means to give careful thought to or complete understanding to. In other words, be a student of people. Don't motivate people the way you would like to be motivated. Motivate people the way they need to be motivated. Sometimes humbling yourself before them to help motivate them. Sometimes at a personal cost to help motivate them. We can't do this casually. We have to do it diligently. This is the command that's given to us. Let us think of ways to motivate one another. And that word motivate literally means to stir up intense emotion or provoke. Now some of us are really good at provoking others. Mm-hmm. And in fact, this word can be used either negatively or positively. If we read this, think of ways to provoke one another. We would have to keep reading to know what we're to provoke them to do. Because if we don't keep reading, we could think it means just provoke them. So put a stick in their side and provoke them. Ow! Provoke them to anger, provoke them to rage, provoke them to lust. I mean, what do we provoke them to? Well, luckily, the writer of Hebrews tells us Provoke them to loving others and good works. Selfless love, agape love. You don't provoke people to emotion. You don't provoke people to an emotional attachment with each other. You provoke them to selfless love of one another. You provoke them to doing good works. That's what we do. We provoke each other in that way. Galatians chapter six, verse 10 says, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. And so as I look around this body, I've gotta watch you and I've gotta learn, how do I provoke you to serve others in love? How do I provoke you to do good to others? And if I don't study you, if I don't talk to you, if I don't visit with you, if I don't get to know you, there's no way I'm gonna be able to do that for you. I mean, maybe the Holy Spirit will give me a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge, please, because I don't got time to meet with people. Leave me alone. <laughs> Isn't that what we do? 
I don't have time to motivate anybody. I don't have time to get to know people. Because this isn't, he doesn't say, uh, okay, everyone, everyone else stop listening. It's no longer let us, it's just pastors. No, it's let us. Let us. Can I tell you something? There are some people that their personality and my personality, we are never really gonna be able to motivate each other well. We can try, but your personality may fit well with them to motivate them. That's why we're in a body. That's why we help each other. And I don't have to judge you because your personality rubs me the wrong way. I just have to understand that there's something in us that the Lord needs to work on in both of us. And that's okay, we give each other grace provoking one another to love and to good deeds instead we sometimes fall into the trap of figuring people out and labeling them well that's so and so yeah that's how they just always act yeah i know they said they surrender to jesus we'll see yeah, I know, they've, they've, uh, they, they came to me and they asked for my forgiveness, but you know, it was like the 15th time. Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother who offends me, seven times? Yeah, seven times 70 times. Yeesh. Well, Pastor Tom, that's not practical. You're right, but it is the gospel. In fact, the gospel goes even farther. I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven so that you'll come up to his cut. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from everyone else? Even pagans do that. You should be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. See, our relationships mean a whole lot more than we've made them out to be. And if we aren't motivating each other to love and to good deeds and to service and to selfless love, if we're not actively involved in that, this is what our salvation is starting to look like. But if we'll come back into the presence of God and we'll hold tightly to the faith that we affirm, what faith? That there's hope in God for everyone, even if they fail 489 times. There's hope. Against all hope, we hope. And then we allow him to continue to root out, sprinkle our guilty conscience, wash our bodies, and we just continue to choose to motivate each other toward service and toward love. Then our salvation starts to stay fresh. See the difference? The last part of this, it says in some translations, let us keep meeting together. Let us not neglect meeting together is what it says. But I, mean, I must not have that verse. But let us motivate one another to love and good deeds and then let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves. To, to forsake or neglect is to leave behind or to walk away from. In other words, it just becomes less and less important. That's what neglect means. Now I know that there was a time where we taught in churches that every time the doors are open, you need to be in church or you don't love Jesus. 
And so to correct that, we've made it very personal. Uh, you know, I can go when I have time. I can go whenever, you know, I don't want to go to the lake. I can go when, you know, I want to spend family time. I, want, I mean, I can, you, you know, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And, you know, you're right. But there's a reason the Bible warns us to not forsake or not walk away from or not neglect meeting together. Because we're supposed to meet together to console one another. We're supposed to meet together to encourage one another. We're supposed to meet together to use the grace that's on our lives so that everyone gets a fuller expression of who our Father is so that we can all grow and be built up, be mature and complete, and then when we walk out those doors, we can go into our mission field fully equipped, fully encouraged, fully empowered, and be able to bring others into the kingdom of God. Not bring them to church, bring them into the kingdom of God. So we can heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons where we are. And if he says, don't forsake coming together, don't neglect coming together because some are in the habit of doing that. He says that because obviously there's a habit of not coming. Obviously there's a war in coming. It's, you're not gonna wake up Sunday morning and be like, whoo, can't wait to get to church today, whoo, unless you're Mark. But everyone else is gonna have to fight for it. You're not gonna wanna come. You're not gonna wanna assemble. You know what? Because that person said that mean thing to me, and so I can't, I'm not going. You see, the enemy wants you to get way more spoiled than that. God wants you to look like this. And so he's not afraid to tell you that the path you're on is gonna end here. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says, don't stop coming together. In fact, he says, do it more and more now that you see the day of his return drawing near. Salvation is the most powerful thing in our lives. But if we don't apply it by coming into the presence of God, holding tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, and then thinking of ways to motivate one another and for assembling together to motivate one another to serve and to love. If we don't do that, our salvation's in danger of ending up like this. It doesn't happen the first time you miss. Okay, that's legalism. It doesn't happen the first time you bite someone's head off when they come to you. That's legalism. But if you allow that stuff to stay in your heart and you don't come into the presence of God to get that stuff washed off, this is what happens. And that's where we end up. And so today as we get ready to close, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna ask you if you've never drawn near to Christ, you've never applied his sacrifice to your life at all, and you need to do that. If today would be that first time, I'm gonna ask you to respond. If you're here and maybe you've drawn near at one point, but you've stopped drawing near. You've stopped holding tightly. You're tired. You'll admit it today. You just say, I am so tired of holding on. I need someone to hold on for me. Then you need to cry out. You need to come into the presence of God to get some Velcro reattached today because he wants to hold you when you don't have the strength to hold yourself. Some of you, need to think of ways to motivate one another. Some of you need to work on a relationship that you're at odds with someone. You need to fix it. 
You know, Jesus said, if you come to the altar and at the altar you realize you've got, your brother has a sin against you, leave your gift, go be reconciled and come back. Stop fooling ourselves to think that we're just processing. Take action. Some of us are drawing near, we're in these right relationships, and we're good. We're good. Everything that I've said today, you're like, yeah, Holy Spirit, that's me. And for us, the danger is, don't ever think I just automatically stay like this. Heed the warnings and just keep coming into the presence of God. And so, Father, today, I ask that you would help us to apply the words that you've spoken to us. God, the words that have come from me, Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd help every one of us to forget everything that I have spoken. The words that come from you, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would put them deep in our hearts. Help us not to turn from them to the right or to the left. Help us not to justify them, to, to walk against them, but help us to receive them fully today. If you're here and you've never drawn near to Christ, I want you right where you are to just lift up your hand and say, today I want to draw near to Jesus. I want to come to him. I've never done that before and I want to make that step today. You may not fully understand what that means and we'll talk with you in just a few minutes and explain it further. But if you say, that's me, I know I need to draw near to Jesus today. I want to draw near. Slip up your hand, put it right back down. Say, pray for me. Okay, if you're here today and you've drawn near at some point in your life, but you know you've wandered. You've wandered away from the truth. You've wandered away from what God has said to do. You've not been faithful to put into practice what he said to do. You're not in right relationship with other believers. And you say, or, or maybe you're just tired. Maybe it's like life has thrown one thing after another at you. It's been your health. It's been your finances. It's been your relationships. It's been sin. It's all kinds of stuff. And you're like, I'm just tired today. And I maybe need some of that Velcro that you're talking about. And if that's you and you say, I just, I just need to come back into his presence today and deal with something fresh, whatever it is, just lift up your hand and say, I'm coming back into his presence. I need something. Anyone else? Anyone else? I need something. Anyone else? Thank you. For the rest of us, I'm assuming that we're continually coming into the presence of God. He's been washing us. We've been dealing with the stuff, actively dealing with the stuff that he's told us to, to get out. All of us need to grow in our relationships. There's not a one of us in this room that doesn't need to be a better student of other people. There doesn't, there's not a one of us in this room that doesn't need to be more gracious with other people. Don't point to me the long list of people that you're gracious towards. Show me the ones that you're not gracious towards and that's where the Lord wants you to go. And so all of us need to become students and so I wanna pray that for all of us today 
if you allow me. And so if you wanna be included in that prayer or you raised your hand for any of those prayers, I want you to stand to your feet as I close at this service today and I wanna pray that blessing over each of our lives that we would walk in the truth that we've received today and not neglect it and not let it fall off, but that we would put it into practice in every way. And so Father, today, for those that raise their hands, for those that are coming into your presence, God, to have water washing their consciences, washing their lives, God, maybe reapplying a stickiness, a perseverance in their heart. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give them today the perseverance they need to continue to be doing good even in the midst of uncertainty, even in the midst of difficulty and trial, that they would be faithful to do what you've called them to do. God, when it even doesn't look like things are working out the way you've promised, may they hold tightly to the faith they profess without wavering today. Would you wash them today with the water of your word, would you wash them today? Holy Spirit, would you minister to them with strength, with comfort, with hope that overflows by your power in their lives? Father, for all of us today, I ask that you would help us to be gracious in the way that we act towards one another. You've told us in your word to stop biting and devouring one another or we will destroy each other. You've warned us time and time again to be careful in how we live in relationship with one another. And we know how easy it is, God, to become offended. We know how easy it is, God, to judge and to, to label those around us. But Holy Spirit, give us a grace to be a better student of people, to see the things that you see in their lives to draw out the grace of God in them and not just point to the flaws that we see on the outside. God, help us to be as gracious towards people as you have been with us. And so Holy Spirit, may that truth take deep root in our lives and transform the way this congregation lives in every way. And now, Father, I ask today that you would bless this congregation. I pray that you would keep them. I pray that you would cause your face to shine on them, that you would be gracious to them, and that you would give them peace. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need to be dismissed, you can. Uh, I know we're a little past the noon hour. Thank you for being gracious today. Uh, the altars are always open to you. If you need prayer or would like to pray, uh, you can find a place of prayer or find someone to pray with you. Otherwise, God bless you as you go.
I stand.